Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Another mass shooting shattered innocent lives on July 4th in Highland Park, Illinois, just after Congress passed its first significant gun regulations in decades and following the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling that made it harder for states and cities to regulate gun use. It is a confusing snarl of progress and reversal. We'll spend today talking about where we are as Americans on guns and gun control. We'll get to it next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The 4th of July is a tradition in our community and in communities nationwide. It's a time when we all kind of gather together to celebrate the best of what we can be, even if as a nation we aren't there quite yet. And whether you're there for the food or the fireworks or the friendship, the point was that we could all be there together, safely, no matter where you live or where you come from. But the sad truth is that right now, a lot of us don't feel that same safety for public gatherings that we used to. And this past holiday weekend brought us even more reason for concern. On Monday, a shooter fired over 70 bullets into a crowd celebrating the 4th of July in the Chicago suburb of Highland Park. He killed seven people and wounded 30 more. The 21-year-old suspect legally purchased the high-powered assault rifle that he used in Illinois. But this wasn't the only issue. In Gary, Indiana, only 50 miles away, three people were killed and seven more wounded in a shooting. And 30 miles north of the Illinois shooting, another person was killed with four wounded in a third shooting that same night. Now, we've gotten used to this kind of thing happening with more frequency than I think any of us can remember in recent history. But what happened on July 4th actually occurs in the context of some movement on this issue at the national level. Movement in both directions. It comes in the wake of the federal government finally passing gun legislation on Saturday, a bill where there is no indication it would even have stopped the events this weekend, but it's a step in the direction toward sensible gun regulation. And it is the first time in nearly 30 years that we've gotten Republicans in Congress to say, hey, there are some things we can do to regulate guns and respect the constitutional right to bear arms. We want to talk about what's in that bill on the show today, but we also want to talk about the other big news in gun regulation, which was the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision to limit states' abilities to regulate gun laws and to make it harder on the idea of gun regulation. So you have this push and pull going on, and Finally, it does seem like there is some movement in that regard. But then you have this mass shooting and these other shootings on the 4th of July. Again, a time when we're thinking about freedom, when we're thinking about our nation and its character, the things that define us. 
That's where we want to begin the conversation today. And we especially want to hear from you. Call and tell us, what do you think of the mass shooting that took place on the 4th of July? What do you think of the way that that shooter acquired his weapon? And apparently it wasn't just one weapon. I guess he had other guns available to him in the car. What do you think about the victims and their families? Have you been reading these unimaginable stories of lives stolen at a 4th of July parade? And what do you make of Congress, finally, after 30 years, agreeing to at least modest gun regulations, things that could change the unbelievable proliferation of weapons in our society? What do you think of the U.S. Supreme Court saying states can't regulate concealed weapons in the way that New York State has for many, many, many years? Which way are we headed on this issue? And will any of it actually make a change? Will any of it prevent us from second-guessing the instinct to get up on the 4th of July and go to a parade? Joining us to help understand all of these issues and that push and pull, especially from Washington, is Mike DeBonis. He is a congressional reporter with The Washington Post, has been all over this issue for some time. Mike, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Pleasure to be with you. So let's start with the bill that finally was uh, signed into law on Saturday, President Biden uh, seem pretty pleased with with uh, with that accomplishment. There are some other folks in his party who think it doesn't quite go far enough. But let us know what to expect. What what does this bill do? Uh, so it does a bunch of things. What it is essentially is a grab bag of some sort of compromise measures that over the course of the last five to ten years had sort of come together uh, through some negotiations in the Senate, um, and, you know, they they didn't quite get there. And, you know, some of these ideas were put on the shelf, um, basically with the idea that at some point something would happen. There would be another mass shooting. There would be a, a call for action, and these things could be taken off the shelf and perhaps, you know, put together and passed. And that's essentially what happened here. Um you just you you had the right moment where you had, you know, sort of the right, um, you know, political conditions in the Senate. You had, you know, um, a group of Republicans who felt compelled to act for various reasons where they hadn't in the past. Um, and so, you know, and you had Democrats who were willing to sort of accept uh, more uh, marginal. Uh, modest measures than they've been willing to accept in the past. Uh, And they got together and took some of these things off the shelf, added some different elements and put it together and it passed. Um, And really the most significant thing about it is really the politics, the the fact that it did pass, that that after, you know, uh, you know, basically 26 years of inaction on gun violence uh, legislation on, you know, significant restrictions um, you know, something passed. So, you know, that that's meaningful. That's notable. Um, if you're a Democrat, uh, if you're a supporter of tougher gun control, um, you can take, you can be heartened by that. Um, uh, at the same time, you know, what, what's in this bill is, is quite a bit short of what, you know, Joe Biden himself called for in a, in a national address in the, you know, the week after Uvalde happened. Uh, back in May, and, you know, he called for an assault weapons ban. He called for banning high-capacity magazines. He talked about, uh, you know, ending this federal law that gives gun manufacturers immunity from product liability lawsuits. All of these things he wanted, none of it was in the bill. Mm. So what is in the bill are, you know, some some fairly, like I said, modest and marginal things. It's things like... um, what we call closing the boyfriend loophole. This is it has to do with domestic violence offenders. You know, under current law, under a law passed in 1996, 
if you're convicted of a misdemeanor domestic violence crime, uh, you can be you know permanently disqualified from uh, purchasing or owning a gun. Uh, but there's a there's a catch. Your victim has to be your spouse. It has to be somebody that you've had a child with or somebody that you've lived with. Um, if, if your victim falls into those categories, you, 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 that you can't buy a gun for the rest of your life. Uh, what that leaves out are people who are just in dating relationships, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, didn't live together, didn't have a kid. But as we all know, those can be extremely emotional, you know, those are significant emotional attachments and they can lead to, um, you know, uh, extreme, you know, feelings of, you know, violence and resentment and, you know, acts of uh, acts of violence. And, you know, this is something that the domestic violence advocates, that uh, gun control advocates have been looking to do for a long time. So they found a way to, to at least partially close that loophole. Um, that's in this bill. Um, there's, uh, you know, a lot of talk about what are called red flag laws. Mm-hmm. A lot of states, including, you know, Illinois, have them. Uh, pardon me, I don't know about Michigan. Um, uh, but these are laws that allow authorities to petition a judge to take someone's guns away if they believe that they, they represent a danger to themselves or others. Um, and we can certainly talk more about those. What, what this bill does is it doesn't create a national red flag law or even compel states to do it, but it, it basically g- g- creates a pot of money where if you're a state and you think that uh, this might be something you want to do, but you know there's some administrative concerns or f- fiscal concerns, uh, there's $750 million that you can draw from to, to get over those hurdles. So we're going to see in the next year or so how many states, additional states above the 19 uh, that currently have these laws are going to do it. Um, and then there's a, uh, a couple other smaller pieces uh, dealing with, you know, federal firearms offenses, gun trafficking. There's a piece about, you know, what kind, if you're in the business of selling guns, do you have to register as a federal licensee and thus run background checks on your customers? There's a, a bit of a tighter definition on that. Uh, the idea is that that's going to lead to more background checks being done. Um, and then the, one of the real innovations, you know, that, that may come to bear on, you know, some of, you know, what, what we kind of call the profile of, of these mass shooters that we've seen, these young yeah, young men who basically decide to have queer mental issues and decide to shoot up, you know, their, their communities. Um, there is a new provision that calls for a new sort of background check screening process for people who are under 21 who, who go in and to buy rifles. A couple of things people just sort of need to know about federal firearms laws. Number one is, is that currently handguns, you, you can't buy a handgun if you're under 21, but you can buy a rifle and not just a hunting rifle, not just a 22, you know, pea shooter that you, you that you might've shot at Boy Scout camp. You can buy an, an AR-15, you can buy any of these, you know, types of weapons that we, you know, commonly refer to as assault rifles or high-powered rifles. Um, if you're 18, you know, you can go, if you pass a background check, you can purchase it the same day. Um, at least until the, this bill was passed. Um, what this bill does is creates an enhanced background check pro- process for people who are under 21. And what it does is it uh, mandates for the first time that you know you have to have a check of their juvenile records, which are typically private, sealed. You know the public can't see them. Um, but a, a, a gun seller would have to uh, make a call to state and local authorities and basically ask, is that you know, are there do you have any records mm-hmm. that would uh, give us give give us any pause would or would would disqualify this person from having a gun if they had committed that offense as an adult and had gone in for a background check? So. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit more about whether this would have affected some of the circumstances that we've seen in some of these recent shootings. But th- this is sort of the provision that's most clearly aimed at this sort of profile that that we've seen of, you know, the young troubled mass shooter where the warning signs are there, but they were still able to buy a gun, go buy a gun and commit uh, a horrific act of mass murder. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
you know, this bill's, you know, a week old at this point, you know, not even, I guess, 10 days old. Um, you know, so we're, we're going to see, you know, what the effect is. And, and there, there's a lot of questions. It's a lot, it's going to be a lot about implementation and other things. But, you know, if you ask folks uh, in the in the advocacy world, um, what they're going to tell you is this is better than nothing. On a couple levels, this will save lives, but no one is quite sure how many. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, doing it this way, you know, was a way to get something written into law. It was not uh, what Democrats wanted. It's not, you know, one of the things that was talked about, and even some Republicans talked about, was raising the uh, age of minimum age of purchase for rifles from 18 to 21 to match handguns. They didn't do that. Instead, they created this new system. And and we're going to see over the next, you know, months and years just how effective it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we talk about um, this, uh, this, this passing Congress, it didn't just pass. It wasn't narrow. 65-33 in the Senate. That's a, a, a pretty remarkable um, uh, remarkable number and it it's well past the the filibuster threshold um, uh, talk about what that means or if it means anything I mean I know once you get to 60 it's a little easier to get over it because uh, lots of people figure well it's gonna pass anyway and I can I can kind of vote the way I want but but getting 65 votes for something like this doesn't seem insignificant to me. Yeah, it's not, and and you're right. It you know, 65 is a, is a good number. It's it's this is solidly bipartisan. You had you know you know notably Mitch McConnell, the the, the Senate Minority Leader, the longtime Republican leader, uh, actually got on board with this process pretty early, and you know pushed it along, made clear he would support it uh, at, at key moments as as it was coming together. Um, but there's a caveat, and the caveat I would say is that if you look at the, the 15 Republicans who got behind this in the Senate, you're talking about a group of Republicans who's probably the most insulated from um, immediate political pressure. You've got uh, a number of, I'm sorry, four or five of them are retiring, will never face voters again. Um, I believe another four or five of them, um, and I apologize for not having the, the precise figures uh, on the top of my head, mm-hmm. who aren't up until 20, uh, 2026. You know, they, they've basically got four more years. They were just reelected in 2020. And, um, and uh, if you look at uh, you know the the one senator that is up this year who ended up voting for it, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. She's in sort of a unique circumstance where she's in a state that now has a sort of ring choice voting system, um, and she's you know uh, basically expecting to run and win with the votes of Democrats and independents, yeah. and she's t- tacked to the center. Um, they've got Mitt Romney, uh, I believe is up in 2024, uh, you know, who obviously is, you know, charts his own path in the Republican Party and has not, uh, but, you know, uh, felt beholden to the, to the, the, the right wing of the party. Um, if you look at, you know, the other 35 Republicans, uh, you know, they, chose the safe route. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they chose to uh, stick with uh, where the, you know, you, know you, you can call it the base of the party, the conservative uh, core of the party. Um, uh, you know, again, you know, the, the National Rifle Association opposed this bill. Um, a number of con- more conservative organizations also came out against it and with varying degrees of uh, ferocity. Um, and, you know, a majority of the of the Republican conference d- did not vote for this. And it was even more stark in the House where, you know, as you know, every member is up every two years. Uh, you know, th- these, you know, these members are six months away from facing voters and actually fewer Republicans in the House voted for this than did Republicans in the Senate, even though they're there's many more times more Republican, four times more Republicans in, in the House. So, you know, you don't want to oversell how meaningful this, uh, the passage of this was, but it is meaningful. And I think, you know, if you, if you talk to Democrats, if you talk to gun control advocates, they'll say, well, they're going to, they've dipped their toe in the water, at least these Republicans who voted for this, 
and they're going to see that the you know the water's fine. Uh, they're not going to get a, a political. They're not going to see any political backlash from this. People are going to be generally happy. Law-abiding gun owners aren't going to see their their lives affected in any significant way, and it might might just create the atmosphere where a few more might come along uh, at some point in the future and, and pass the next type of restriction. And of course, in the gun rights community, that's exactly what they're afraid of. They, you know, the, the, the whole argument is the slippery slope. It's the nose under the camel's tent. And uh, the, that's certain, I've certainly heard a lot of those arguments uh, in the month that they were putting this bill together. And uh, I, th- I think that, you know, uh, there's some, you know, there's some common ground between the two diametrically opposed sides and yeah. that they both, you know, fear or hope that that actually will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about uh, gun policy in the United States, uh, gun policy according to Congress and the president, gun policy according to the Supreme Court, and of course, the overwhelming reactions to what happened on Monday, July 4th, when a shooter in Highland Park, Illinois, killed uh, several people and wounded a lot of others. Uh, These mass shootings, of course, are something we just have gotten used to, I think, in this country. Give us a call. Let us know what you think of what Congress is doing, what the court is doing, and how you're reacting to the proliferation of guns and these mass shootings. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. We'll work into the show. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. Uh, We're talking with Mike DeBonis of the Washington Post. He covers Congress. Uh, We're talking about the action this weekend where Congress passed significant gun legislation for the first time in about 30 years. President Biden has signed that legislation. It is now law. Uh, We're also talking about, of course, the mass shooting. That happened on July 4th uh, in Highland Park, Illinois, and the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling about uh, regulations on who can carry concealed weapons uh, in our country. Uh, There does seem to be quite a bit of movement on the gun issue. Depending on which side you come down on, you may be happy about some of it and not so happy about uh, other other aspects of it. Uh, we want to hear from you, though, about how you're feeling. Uh, what are you thinking about what Congress did over the weekend and what, pres- what the president signed? What are you thinking about the U.S. Supreme Court ruling? And how are you taking in these mass shootings? Uh, is it changing the way you're thinking about doing things like going to a 4th of July parade or sending your child off to school? Uh, these are things that... Uh, a lot of us take for granted as somehow being safe in a zone of safety. I think what we're being reminded of is that uh, the proliferation of weapons in our country makes them less safe than we might believe. Are you changing the way that you uh, go about things in your life because of those uh, those incidents? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Dave on Twitter says, a near equal amount of people die from gun and vehicle-related deaths annually trying to regulate either is seen as a threat to our freedoms. I believe that there should be a more thorough background check process to buy high-powered guns or high-powered vehicles. An interesting analogy there. Uh, Deborah on Twitter says, why aren't these massacres at least considered a betrayal of the slaughtered 
uh, rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? That's a really great question as well. Uh, so many people I know who describe themselves as pro-life um, have a hard time thinking of this issue in that context. Uh, they don't necessarily make the, the connection between uh, people who are uh, shot uh, for, for no reason and uh, their, their concern about, uh, about the unborn. I uh, want to continue to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019, of course, is the number. Uh, also, you can go to Facebook or to Twitter, and we can uh, work into the conversation that way. While we're queuing up the phones, uh, Mike, I wonder if you can talk about um, uh, what's next uh, in, in, in Congress. Uh, will Congress continue to react to the things that we're seeing? I mean, a 4th of July parade being shot up, that's, that's a little different um, than, than what we are used to. Is the pressure still on them? To do more, um, you know, the pres- the pressure is on. You know, certainly individual members of Congress uh, will continue to react. Uh, the party leaderships will continue to react. Um, but you know, the, the the facts are, you know, that after this, you know, with this bill's passage. Um, Congress has done legislating on guns, at least for this Congress, which you know, which ends at the end of the year. Probably for the next two, maybe three Congresses and, and beyond. Um, I think that Republicans, you know, political reality is that you know uh, Democrats are facing a very tough midterm environment. Um, virtually every fo- forecaster. Uh, who's looked at the midterms believes that, you know, Republicans are, are almost certain to take the house, um, and have stand a decent shot of taking the Senate. Um, you know, uh, this is not a party that's going to prioritize new sure. gun control yeah. bills. Um, and, um, so, and I think you've already seen in the last in the last two days uh, some of that sort of play out. Mitch McConnell did a press conference in Kentucky yesterday, and you know he was asked about this and, and basically said, you know, we just passed this law. Let's you know let's watch it work. Uh, and I think you know a big reason why Republicans, starting with Mitch McConnell, got on board with this bill is that they can now point to this after tragedies like Highland Park and say. We took action to solve the problem, and uh, you know we think our work is done here. Uh, now, the day may come where that answer isn't going to do it. Uh, there may be a, a, a shooting in the future that has a unique set of circumstances that might prompt a public, you know, uh, uprising for for further action. Um, but it's going to take time for that to develop. And right now, Republicans are not feeling pressure to go back to the table. In fact, they're feeling quite the opposite. They feel like they have uh, done what they need to do to insulate themselves from the, uh, you know, public outcry, uh, you know, following these mass shootings. And, and they, they feel like, uh, you know, uh, this is this is settled, at least for the near and medium term future. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start with Thomas in Detroit. Thomas, what's on your mind? Yeah, I just wanted to reflect on something here. Mm-hmm. Now, everything that we're talking about is about, like, we're saying we're here to solve the mess. Because truthfully, I think a lot of this, a good percentage of this, and I can say this because not only am I retired military, I'm also a firearms instructor. Mm-hmm. And I can say this firsthand, a lot of what we have here is there's mental health issues that we that we we tossed these people out 30 years ago, back during the 40 years ago, back during the days of Engler, when Mm -hmm. we shut down all of these mental health facilities that people where people were getting care. We were holding a teachers accountable. We were that. We were holding people accountable for their conduct, teachers accountable. The teachers had support and structure. And I can say that because I, I am a graduate of Detroit Public Schools, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. I remember the days. You had programs that were there to help kids that were in trouble. 
you didn't have a lot of bullying. You had you didn't have the, the the bullying you had. Social media, I think, is one of the worst things we ever did, ever came up with, because that becomes these kids' best friends. Yeah. So, so Thomas, I I really appreciate the call and and that perspective. I, I mean, I'm going to give you the same caution that I am giving everybody right now when they say, well, it's actually this or it is actually that. I think there is a there is a danger in getting caught up in the idea of it being one thing and not another. And I, I don't I don't think we have to I don't think we have to limit ourselves thinking that way. I, you're absolutely right. The the decimation of the mental health system here in Michigan uh, was was. A terrible idea when when John Engler, who was governor, did it back in the 90s, and we have paid a, an incredible price for that uh, since then. And and uh, most people who supported what he was doing back in the 90s now say the same thing. They would say it was a mistake, but I don't know that that is the, a reason to say, well, that's the fix or that's the thing that's causing this. Um, I think it's a combination of mental health and, of course, uh, the proliferation of, of weapons, the easy access to weapons for, for, for illegal use. Uh, I mean, there are all kinds of things. And I think this is the kind of challenge that really forces us to think more broadly about those things. Uh, one of the things, Mike DeBonis, about this bill is the bill that just passed is it does take that approach. It does not focus on one thing it tries to do a number of different things all of which are contributors to this issue that's right and uh you know thanks thomas for for raising the mental health issue because this bill actually if you if you look at it uh holistically um and you especially if you look at the dollar uh figure uh associated with it 15 billion dollars the vast majority of that is going into mental health uh programs and uh, particularly what he talked about, the, the, the sort of in-school uh, uh, programs uh, that he was talking about in Detroit Public Schools when he was, he was coming up. Um, and there's a good deal of money and a good deal of investment in here that's going to go into those sorts of interventions. Um, and, and that's a big deal. Um, and, you know, shame on me for not mentioning it earlier when I was going through the gun provisions. But certainly, you know, th that was a big part of why they were able to put this bipartisan group together is you had a lot of Repu have a lot of Republicans who have been, you know, saying that in the wake of these mass shootings. Well, it's about mental health. It's about school security. Well, they if you, you know, the bulk of the money in this bill is for mental health and school security. Um what they were able to do is, you know, add some of these, you know, gun violence measures uh, on top of that. Um, and just to get in a little more granular detail about it, one of the big uh, uh, programs that they're they're doing here is expanding an all, in, uh, a pilot program that's actually already rolled out in Michigan. Uh, it's a it's a program that was uh, put together by De Senator Debbie Stabenow mm -hmm. and uh, Senator Roy Blunt that create that creates this pot of federal money to create uh, community behavioral health centers. And um, the idea is that these uh, centers can be established in all across the country. And r right now they're, they're only, I believe, uh, 10 or fewer states. And now this will roll it out all across the country. So people have a place to go for um, for interventions if, if they're, they're having any, you know, issues. Um, and hopefully get people some professional help before they uh, get to the point that they're looking to commit an act of mass violence. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Mike DeBonis of the Washington Post. It was really great to have you here for this uh, conversation. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to welcome Stephanie Hartwell, who is the dean of the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at Wayne State University, also a professor of sociology there uh, to the conversation. She's going to talk to us 
about violence, gun violence, how it affects schools, how it affects children, a number of different aspects of this conversation. We also want to continue to hear from you, of course, on the phones and on social media. We'll get to Bashar in Detroit next. Got some other social media comments. If you want to join, 313-577-1019 is the number here. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about guns this hour, the mass shooting that happened on July 4th in Highland Park, Illinois. The legislation that passed Congress uh, this weekend and was signed by the president, the first significant gun regulations in almost 30 years, and the Supreme Court's recent ruling that makes it harder for states and cities to regulate uh, concealed weapons in particular. Lots of movement on the gun issue as we continue to watch these mass shootings unfold and hear the absolutely unimaginable and heartbreaking stories of the lives that are stolen uh, from communities all over our country. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. We'll work you into the conversation. Tell us how you're feeling about guns, gun restrictions, uh, and, of course, uh, these mass shootings, which are undoubtedly on the rise and showing up in places that uh, I don't think uh, we would have predicted just a, a few years ago. I also want to welcome another voice to the conversation. Uh, Stephanie Hartwell is the Wayne State University Dean of the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. She's also a professor of sociology and adjunct professor of psychiatry at the university. Uh, Dean Hartwell, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm actually not at home. I'm abroad, but I'm so, um, I think this issue is so, so incredibly important. Um, so thank you for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would really love to have you start by talking about uh, this problem in, in the context of sociology and culture. Uh, of course, there is, there is the, the, the question of guns and the access uh, to guns, which is part of our culture, but there is this violence that is part of our culture. And uh, I know a lot of your work focuses on how this affects children and how it affects schools. Uh, talk about where, I guess, where we are with all of this as as we see these mass shootings happen over and over again. Well, sure. Historically, the culture of violence, you know, has been around in um, the United States since the country was founded. The issue is, is that we never predicted the, the, the heights that technology would bring us. So just like you were saying at the close of the last segment, there's lots of reasons for these incidents occurring. It's a conflagration of access to guns, of technology, of mental health, of how society's evolving. We're more of a bifurcated country than we have been in the past. There's very few shades of gray. And one of the things I try to do as a professor, of uh, dean of liberal arts um, and sciences is have civil conversations. And we're finding it difficult to do that. But there's lots of shades of gray in this debate. And, and one area I don't think folks talk about enough is the cost. Everybody's concerned about sort of, you know, you know, if we if we make guns, if, if we have more legislation around guns and the gun lobby is going to lose money or the NRA is going to lose money. But we're really losing money on the other side. We're not looking at the cost of the trauma. We're not looking at the cost of the losses of productivity of people who can't go back to work. We're not looking at the cost of the legal fees. We're not looking at sort of the outcomes of what happens to our country related to tourism and safety. If you can't be safe at work, I guess there was a DoorDash killer, uh, a DoorDash driver killed in Detroit this weekend. Mm -hmm. Safe, safe at play with the parade violence this weekend. Um, you know, safe doing at the mall. There was actually a mass shooting in Copenhagen while we've been here. Hmm. So, so this lack of feeling safe impacts the culture, and and it does become costly. And folks need to think about that in terms of also taxpayers' dollars going into mental health, going into corrections, 
all those things. And we need to start to look at that. So I also want to have you address the people who are doing this. There is something about the profile of the people who are doing this. They are young. They are male. They are overwhelmingly white. Uh, they are not exclusively white, of course. Uh, but right. uh, but what is it about uh, that profile that uh, should we should be focusing on, and and how do we address how do we address that side of it? Well, it goes back to, a little bit to the to mental health piece, but you're right; it is a balance. I mean, we, we need we don't always capture everybody who needs mental health services, but it also goes back to this bigger picture of the culture of violence, but also isolation. And what I was talking about how gun violence affects the fabric, the tapestry of our society. The things that weave us together suddenly get torn apart, and and these threads get pulled, and folks don't feel as safe, as connected. You know, if they're impacted by gun violence and they can get access to guns, you know, if they're worried about going to the mall, going to a parade, it becomes a chicken and an egg argument. And one of the things um, we know is if you are impacted at trauma, by trauma at any point in your life, that you're likely to be more anxious, more angry, and more aggressive. So any kind of you know, trauma from being in the theater of war, trauma from experience being a bystander to gun violence, trauma growing up, you're going to be more angry, more aggressive, more hostile. And then if you have access to guns and you, you know, you're not thinking correctly and there's a sort of norm of culture of violence, bad things can happen. Um, yes, the offenders are overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly Caucasian male, and I think that speaks to some of what I was saying about our inability to have sort of civil conversations um, in the United States about some of these issues and bring everybody in. Everybody should be welcome to the conversation, and this is why diversity in conversations is so important. We can't leave anybody out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, Let's go to Barbara in Utica. Barbara, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Hi. I just want to say regarding the legislation that I don't think it even touches the problem. I, I mean, you can say it's a good start, but it's all political. And I think most people who think know that um, they just want to get, you know, in a good light. Uh, the only thing that's going to help is get the automatic weapons out of the hands of human beings. That's the only thing that's going to do it. You know, I, I'm all for the mental health and all those other things, but society is a huge problem and the way that news is delivered, all that stuff. And that's all mm-hmm. I'm going to say about it. Yeah, so, yeah Barbara, I, I really appreciate uh, the call. And I think a lot of people feel like this bill doesn't go quite far enough. I mean, uh, certainly a lot of Democrats uh, feel that way. Um, uh, Dean Hartwell, talk about the this balance between the idea of the guns themselves and you know, the, the, the culture that, uh, that decides, I guess, what, what will happen with those guns and, and h- how we focus ourselves. He, he, Barbara is correct on many levels. You know, the, the technology of the semi-automatic weapons was never sort of thought of what happens if somebody is in a crowd and is carrying one of those and the ability of the number of rounds you can get off carrying one of those and have no training, mm-hmm. no licensure in this country. You need to think about getting the next area where you think about a lot of technology and the ability to use that technology is driving. You know, we make our 16-year-olds, I have a daughter going through this now, go through segment one training, mm-hmm. which is three weeks and, and X number of hours behind the wheel. Then they have to sit for a test. Then there's segment two training, and they have to learn about what's under the hood and how to use it and why vehicles can hurt people. You know, to get a license to drive a car is far harder than it is to buy a semi-automatic weapon. And I have a lot of concerns, I would agree with Barbara, about the, the technology used in the semi-automatic clips that folks use um, so they can get off the number of rounds. Uh, you know, there was never, I, when the Constitution was written, nobody envisioned that these kind of um, guns would be available. And I, you know, appreciate technology and all the good that technology does. And maybe there's a way that technology can help us forward. I know at Wayne State and the College of Engineering that they're doing a lot of research on ballistics right now um, because of the dangers of certain kinds of bullets and certain kinds of weapons. Um, But Barbara certainly raises a very valid point. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Barbara, I really appreciate the call and uh, the comments. Uh, Let's go to Bashar in Detroit. Bashar, welcome to to the program. 
Hi, good morning. Hi. Um, uh, so my point was a little bit related to the politics, but also your current guest. The Second Amendment says that a well-regulated militia, well-regulated, mm-hmm. being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people, the people, to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So I think I don't understand why we kind of take for granted uh, the idea that it's an individual right when it's not. We have precedents dating back to the 1800s that establishes as such, but the Constitution is very clear uh, that the people is not the same as a person, where it says in other places of the Constitution and other amendments in the Bill of Rights. Yeah. So we kind of just accept this notion that that the Second Amendment allows for guns when in, in reality it establishes well-regulated. You know, well-regulated mm-hmm. is not people... With, who don't have their frontal lobes fully developed, yeah. you know, people under 21 being able to purchase guns. Yeah. It's not, you know, and, and the Supreme Court proved that they don't care about precedents either with their recent ruling of Roe v. Wade. So I don't know why that's never considered. Now, obviously, with the current court, it's probably not going to happen, but it's just something to think about that uh, we kind of take it for granted. But Bichard, it's, it's, a great, it's a great point. And, and I mean, you, you kind of have to go... Um, Back to the Heller decision, you know, a few years back, where, which was the turning point for the Supreme Court in terms of finding this individual right and, and kind of calcifying it into, into the Supreme Court doctrine. Um, uh, but, you know, Dean Hartwell, I, I think there is also a larger cultural question about this strain between the idea of individual rights and community consequence right that 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 even if there is uh, a, a good reason for someone to have a gun uh, mm-hmm. th- th- there is a there is a danger and a threat associated with that that affects everybody else's rights and in a cultural sense forget about the constitution for a second that balance is out of balance in in the way that we're talking and thinking about this Right. So as I understand it, just quickly going through the news, you know, there was there was more than a dozen um, mass shootings over Fourth of July weekend in the United States Mm -hmm. in that 15 people died and 90 were injured um, across multiple cities. And 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 I was, you know, also struck by the DoorDash driver getting killed in Detroit because, you know, that's close to home. And, and, and again, this rips at the fabric of society of what bonds us together as human beings. I'm always amazed at how wonderful human beings are and and but but losing that trust and not being able to trust human beings it impacts everything um and not feeling safe so i mentioned that i'm abroad i'm actually at the international association of law and mental health um meetings Hmm. and i know my my kids wanted to go to a mall and there was a shooting at copenhagen mall and i stopped i'm like i don't think i really want to be in a mall it starts to affect the pattern um you want to live your everyday life but it does start to affect the pattern. But the people that are there and that see these things, the kids at Rob Elementary School, the kids in Buffalo, I mean, the people in Buffalo at the grocery store, um, anybody who witnesses these shootings, the people at the parade who had to flee, their lives will never be the same. Yeah. And again, those are the costs to taxpayers that to, to people don't even recognize that are going to be there um, for the United States. And, and we, we need to have a reckoning on this because we need to start to think about those uh, public health costs. To gun violence. So, so the story that keeps jumping out at me from the shooting in in Highland Park, Illinois, and it's been on TV a couple of times, is the story of this two-year-old who was found wandering around after this had happened, all all uh, alone. Uh, and as it turned out, uh, both of this child's parents had been killed. Um, uh, in in the yeah. shooting, and when you think about that child's life, so much of that child's life ahead of it, without without parents, um, and and when you talk about societal consequence, I mean it, it doesn't get any starker than than something like that—a child who will not have parents because of something like this. You know, but you're absolutely right that that that, that child experienced a tremendous trauma. And even though they're two, 
that, you know, children as early as birth, when they're not being handled and loved and hugged, experience all sorts of deprivation issues. And it reacts, it's called reactive attachment disorders, where they never can fully attach again because they've lost. But you think of that now, now bring that out to a community level. You know, Oxford is fairly close to us and, and, and how that high school is healing. In some ways, that high school there's some stigma involved with shootings and murder, but all the way to mass shootings. You know, that high school, there's so much that's been lost in the, the, the positive nature of what high school is and how folks can go forward um, and, and the trauma that those kids are facing collectively. So that's, that's the thing about mass shootings. The, the two-year-old's incredibly important to the story, but collectively there's all those experiences the two-year-old's feeling are felt by the community. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that we need to think of the, the individual impacts, including that two-year-old, which is horrific, but also it's horrific for the community, even though it's more diffuse. Um, and people have to understand and help wrap their arms around the community that experienced it as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Stephanie Hartwell, uh, Dean of the College of Liberal Arts, and science is at Wayne State University and a professor of sociology. It was really great to have you here as part of this conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. It's an incredibly important conversation, and we have to continue to have it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about the state budget and take a look as well at the upcoming elections in Oakland County. Yes, uh, Election Day is less than a month from now when we'll go to the ballot and uh, go to the booths and start making decisions in the primary election. Here on Detroit Today, we are going to talk about the choices that we're making in every part of our community, and that will start tomorrow. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.